This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 30th of November. And Norman, everyone is continuing to scrutinise the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which just mere weeks ago felt like our best chance at a vaccine for COVID. And it's it's come out with results, as we talked about last week, that looked really promising. And then on closer inspection, they looked a bit weird. There was a thing where a small group of people in the vaccine trial received a half dose um, and they had better results. But then now there's questions about whether they were given a half dose by accident. How do we make sense of what's happening with this vaccine trial? It's actually really hard. So we we signalled all this, I think, last Tuesday on CoronaCast. It was quite clear then that the, they'd done something unacceptable, which was try to average two very different trials. And one got a 62% result, effectiveness result, of preventing COVID-19 disease which if it had been the first vaccine to report would have sounded pretty good because the registration level is 50% effectiveness. But they came after uh, Pfizer and Moderna with uh, well over 90% effectiveness. And then how they got their average of 70%, which really sounds like confection, which is that they got in another smaller trial a result in people who'd got half a dose and then a full dose following had got 90% effectiveness. And all this goes back to pharmaceutical companies making scientific announcements by press release. We could talk about this till kingdom come. There are rumours circulating. There's very little confirmation. But apparently they're rushing to publish this. And that there's a report, I think, in the Financial Times that they will publish this in The Lancet on Thursday. So Thursday of this week, British time, we should know a bit more about this trial. And remember, this is a vaccine that they promised not to make profits out of, that um, is cheap, and they've committed to giving very large doses. I think something enormous, like a third of the world's doses of vaccines are relying on AstraZeneca. So this is a lot riding on this vaccine. So look, 60% effectiveness is better than nothing, but hard to justify spending money on if you've got other vaccines around that are 90%. But if there's nothing else around, then uh, what do you do? So they may have to repeat the trial with a half dose followed by a full dose. If you remember, there is a rationale for that, which is that the chimpanzee virus that takes the genetic material into the cell can, in theory, generate an immune response. In other words, you immunize to the chimpanzee virus. So the second vaccine dose that you get, um, the body's just kind of immune to actually the carrier for the vaccine, so it doesn't prove to be effective. The Russians get around this by giving you two different carrier vaccines. The first one is a different carrier virus from the second vaccine dose, has a different carrier virus, so the antibodies to the first one won't affect the second one. But the the reason they chose the chimpanzee virus was in the theory that that a human being wouldn't generate an immune response to a chimpanzee virus. It would be kind of invisible, which is maybe wishful thinking, but they have studied this chimpanzee adenovirus before. So really, we can talk about it a lot on CoronaCast, but we'll know, hopefully at the end of the week, an awful lot more than we know now. But I suspect they're going to have to go back to the drawing boards and try a half-dose trial just to see whether or not they can get a 90% efficacy. So we have some questions from the audience about this, but I've got some questions for you first. Do these sorts of things, the, the maybe the dosing mix-up or the unsure, uncertain results, do these happen in all clinical trials, but the difference this time is that the public is watching it 
play out in real time? Or is there a chance that this frantic competitive pace of trying to get a vaccine out is maybe causing companies to have to make errors? And so then what does this mean for our ability to trust a vaccine once it comes on the market? All good questions, Tegan. The reason you've got this problem is almost certainly rushing and missing out on what's called a phase two trial. So normally you've got three phases of trials. Phase one, which is looking at safety, tends to be small and a few hundred people. Then you would normally go to phase two. And a phase two trial is a dose finding study, which is the most effective dose of a vaccine or a drug that's going to get you your effect. That's in a larger number of people and you, you test out the dosing. Now, what you've missed out here in all these trials is a proper phase two study. So they've rushed headlong into a phase three study with a guesstimate as to what the dose is. Now, I think from memory, there was an element of dose finding in the phase three study, and there may well have been an element of dose finding in all the vaccine trials uh, testing this out, which is why you got the half dose, or it could have been a mistake, we'll find out. But it could be that they got the dose wrong. And if you remember rightly, right at the beginning of this whole process, we said nine out of 10 vaccines fail. And we haven't had nine out of 10 vaccines fail so far. We've had them all surviving this process. It's just that the Astra vaccine was disappointing with the two-dose regimen. Michael's asking about the PR side of things. So he's pointed out that Pfizer and Moderna have both sort of said that their vaccines are about 95, 90, 95% effective, but they've been very selective about releasing details of their methodology and is querying why they haven't been subject to similar criticism as Oxford and AstraZeneca. Uh, He says, I hope decisions are not being based on who has the best PR. So the answer to that is we don't know until they've published the results. But certainly Pfizer and Moderna were fairly straightforward in what they said, although it wasn't transparent at all. They just You just took it on trust that they got between 90 and 95% effectiveness. Astra, if you like, was a bit more transparent, although they were a bit silly in averaging out the two trials. Um, so you could see that there was part of the study which showed 62%, another part of the study showed 90%. Now, if that happened with Pfizer and Moderna at different doses, we don't know that. All we know is that at the dose they've published, they got really good results. But the regulators will see those findings. It's, there's, no, there's no benefit to a pharmaceutical company of lying to regulators like the Food and Drug Administration because they will be caught out. And the penalties are huge in terms of reputational damage and indeed uh, financial damage. So they've got to get this sorted out and they've, they've got to be honest with the public. But this is the problem with a press release. You just don't get the chance to scrutinise the data. Oh, well, back to Australia and South Australia's getting their outbreak under control. But there was a story yesterday that basically a guy a week ago was tested positive to coronavirus and then went shopping. And they're now being, people in those areas are now being encouraged to get tested, even if they're asymptomatic. So that public health messaging is out there. And if that applies to you, then you should do that. But June's asking a broader question about this. Why are international arrivals who may or may not be affected, infected with coronavirus have to quarantine in a hotel, but those who are confirmed to be infected, who have caught it locally, are able to stay at home? That is a superb question, June, um, and a, a really good one. And some people are suggesting that people who are coming in from overseas could, if they had a home to go to, remember some of them are tourists, not necess- or some of them have been away for a long time and don't have somewhere to live, in which case hotel quarantine is the only option. 
but you know, some people are suggesting that you could, in fact, um, with technologies such as location on your phone, uh, random checking and that sort of thing, quarantine at home. But as you can see from this particular case, it relies on trust. When that trust is broken, then you're risking another outbreak in South Australia in this particular case. Hotels give you a degree of security that home doesn't. And, and, but you, can we rely on trust in this situation? There just seems to be no perfect way of dealing with quarantine and, ice, and case isolation, isn't there? Because I've seen other comments on the same sort of issue saying that we should be quarantining people in the middle of the Gibson Desert. And that's obviously not practical either, because if someone gets sick, they need to have access to, to medical care. Is there anywhere in the world that's doing this really well? I think we're doing it as well as any, us in New Zealand, and we're doing it through many hotels, hotel quarantine. Um, I think people look to us for the gold standard and it's worked. I mean, we've had, I mean, I saw the other day, I haven't verified the number, that 600,000 people have come back and we've had a, only a handful of breakouts. I mean, some of them devastating, like Victoria, of course, but um, we've done pretty well, you'd have to say. So I said Gibson Desert there, which is actually in WA, and I meant to say Simpson Desert. But while we're talking about WA, let's talk about it because we often get... Um, questions from listeners saying that we should talk about it more often. And I think the reason why we don't talk about it very much is because they've actually done a really good job of not having any coronavirus there. Yeah, you've not given us anything to talk about. We can, we can talk about you and it must be nice to go out to Rottnest. In fact, what we could do is send these all arrivals to stop people having a holiday in Rottnest over the holidays and they can all go to Rottnest Island and having a nice time. I'm told there's a couple of quite nice glamping areas. I mean, I love Rottnest. I mean, they'd have a great time. Trouble is, their pizza has pineapple on it. But, you know, you could probably ask them to hold it. Oh, my gosh. Talk about opening a can of worms with pineapple. Your comments on Friday, Norman, about pineapple on pizza have elicited quite a strong, resp a stronger response from our audience than we usually get on coronavirus-related issues. John's saying, uh, right on, Norman, no pineapple on pizza, an abomination. But Sue says, Dr. Swan, how could you not like pineapple on pizza? Although fresh pineapple is better than tinned. Yeah, and one person said, you know, you could just always take the pineapple off and then eat it after your pizza as dessert. <laughs> Dinner and dessert in one, one convenient dish. Yeah, the problem, problem with that is the taste of the tap pineapple is left behind. You can't get rid of it. Oh, well, on that note, uh, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question or a comment, send it in to uh, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and uh, go to ask your questions and uh, submit it with uh, mentioning the word Coronacast so we can pick it up more easily. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.